1: Dr. Doreen Grand is the. Dr.
0: Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand
1: Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and I am here with our fabulous Dr. Doreen Grandpiche. She's a true expert in the field of autism. As you just saw, she's going to be answering your questions for the next hour live right here right now michelle is already writing in and saying hi michelle send us a question <laughs> uh we got some exciting news for you but i, I want to tell you right now that we're live it is wednesday october 20th i'm saying happy birthday to my brother uh and whose birthday it is today and we want uh for you guys to be writing into us. so let's talk about all the little icons that you see above us those are all the places where we're live and where you can download the podcast later on. We are excited that uh, this is a format in which you can get information from a true expert and, and in real time. You can ask a question in real time and, and get to hear Dr. Grampy Pichet's answer. So watch us live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and very soon, next week, this show, we're going to attempt to go live on TikTok, because Dr. Graham Pichet is on, like, I never thought these words would come out my mouth. Dr. (laughs) Graham Pichet (laughs) is on TikTok. All right. We've, we've crested and gone into a new world, everybody. Uh, So you could go to ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok, and you can also be sending your questions in there. And even throughout the week, apparently Dr. Graham Pichet is occasionally going to just drop in from her, you know, standing in her kitchen by her refrigerator and going to answer a question or two. Uh, yes. like the world has gone crazy and I love it, Dr. Grand So welcome to Dr. Grand Welcome to all of you. I want to give the disclaimer that ask the questions. You just have to understand that in this format. Uh, she cannot give individual specific advice, but she can tell you amazing things that will help you to go get eyes on the situation where you are. So now, Dr. Graham Boucher,
0: welcome. Thank you so much, Shannon, and good morning, everybody. It's uh, yeah, I you and I both never thought we'd be saying I'm going to be on TikTok. To me, TikTok was always like a place that you went and watched people doing cool dances and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> But I recently learned that it is also a really good place to answer questions, and um, so I started doing that, and I love it, and it's great, and I hope that you will go there, send me your questions, follow me. Uh, Let's start to build the presence of autism and and get more uh, awareness on it.
1: Wonderful. Saying good morning to Paula and Amanda and DS Digital a digital advertising, hello, has written in and said, I'm so lucky to catch you on time. Yes. Yay. Uh, and they say, I have a question regarding my niece. Uh, she's 13 months old and she's not banking baby words, not engaging with others, uh, not walking and uh, and loves the iPad most of the time. So thank you so much for, for writing in that question, Dr. Pichet,
0: Yeah. So... Yeah, how lovely of you to, uh, you know, be watching and and concerned for your niece, who's just 13. 13 months, 13 months, 13 months, exactly 13 months. I'd love to be able to tell you one way or another. I hate having to say it's a little too early to tell. But the truth is, it's a little too early to tell. The issue is that, um, yeah, exactly. And I just saw that she wrote in here and they said it might be too early. So here are the things that you're going to be looking for. So first of all, there's a whole huge variety in regards to kids um, when they develop speech and when they develop movement, like walking. Uh, usually one precedes the other. Some kids are going to talk first or be more vocal and a little bit slower on the motor. And some kids are going to be the opposite, Uh, stronger on the motor and the vocal is going to be a little bit later. So it just differs. Now the second and 13 months is just, if, if you don't do either one at 13 months, there's still not enough to cause concern because sometimes neither one of those things really starts to develop at 13 months. That's just, she's barely over a year. Um, When you say not engaging with others, that is kind of a little bit more along the lines of what's important. Um, I guess I would do a few things if you want to kind of make it a little bit more obvious. One is reduce her time on the iPad because it's entirely possible that she's kind of, you know, establishing a connection with only the iPad and is not really, when your head is in something technology, you know, this happens to all of us, right? We have our phones and we're constantly on the phone. We don't look around. And for a baby, uh, it's important to look around because that's where the baby's gonna learn. So, uh, you know, human behavior, communication, connecting to others, all that is out there, not in here in the iPad. So you might want to reduce her time with the iPad and what you're looking to observe and try, and really is important when you go back and talk to the doctor in a few months is are things like, does she look up at you when you call her name? So eye contact, response to name, uh, does she, or does she like turn around if you call her name? Uh, that is super important. Another one is how does she express her needs? So does she point to objects that she wants? Uh, does she try to get you to help with objects that she wants? That's kind of an another important one uh, to pay attention to. And then you can already start like just trying to uh, teach her some basic communication skills. What we, when we talk, you know, start working first on imitation. So just sit in front of her and do do this, do this, you know, like the basic little maybe imitation type activities, and then start to uh, see if she can start asking for things that are important to her. Like if she wants her bottle, then you can sit in front of her and try to hold the bottle and then say bottle or try to say some variation of that like a lot of babies will say baba or juice or oof or juice that kind of thing some variation which indicate which is a label for that particular thing that she's asking for and you can do that with a multitude of things that she asks for if you can accomplish that in the next few months just getting eye contact getting some basic imitation and getting what we call manding you know, labeling things that she's requesting. um, That's a huge accomplishment. And that will also help very much with the doctor being able to diagnose one way or another.
1: I did it to myself. Uh, I love that answer. Uh, It's a hard answer because, you know, when we get told over and over and over again, early intervention, early intervention, early intervention, then when you start to see things it only makes sense that you want to start to intervene. And I love that she says, is there something that we can do in the meantime? And there have been studies recently that have, you know, and this is an idea that you guys have been talking about as long as I've known you, Dr. Grant Fichet, that in some cases, if you start to notice that a kiddo is missing milestones, if you get in and intervene, it's a, it's entirely possible that the child will gain the skills and never get to the point where they get the diagnosis. Like you could yes. potentially head it off at the pass. Um, now, it used to be that there were certain resources that we would have given you that would have had all of the curriculum and already had it age-normed for you that isn't available um, to the, the public uh, right now. So is there a place, Dr. Pichet, that we can send somebody that you're aware of. I, I can, you know, we've been telling people to go to the autism partnership foundation to get training on how to do ABA, but in terms of finding the milestones and what kinds of things like what you were talking about, working on joint attention and that, what, uh, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I guess I would do two things. I mean, here's like, you know, there's unfortunate. So like, I'm just going to tell you resources that are online. Right. So you can probably, for normal developments, there's a really good developmental test called the brigands, and it just lists out kind of what you are supposed to do at different age levels by months, right, by six-month intervals. Um, so that's a good place to look, Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E, and I'm pretty sure you can either purchase it or you'll see the questions online. In terms of, the other thing I would probably do is I'd look up the symptoms of autism, because just as you were talking, Shannon, I was thinking of a couple of other things that the um, DS Digital didn't name, which have to be present if you're going to get a diagnosis. So, for instance, is the child exhibiting any kind of repetitive self stimulatory behavior? Um, so those would be things like hand flapping, um, gazing at objects, toe walking, lining up their toys all of these types of things would be super important to tell a doctor when you go see them. Um, and there, and then also another question I would have is like, are there any sensory sensitivities? So what I would do is I would kind of look at symptoms of autism and make sure you actually list those. When you see a doctor, you don't have to wait six months, by the way, if you go through the symptoms and you see like, Oh my God, yes, this, this, and this, then go back right away right? Go back and tell them, I forgot to tell, I didn't realize I should tell you that she also does these things. But if you don't see them, then yes, wait. Now, while you're waiting, do those things that sh- that are in the brigands, right? There you go. Thank you. And it's like all those things that are listed. It's like, mostly at this age, it's going to be a lot of imitation, both nonverbal and verbal. It's going to be a little bit of uh, requesting. And then obviously there's other things you can teach too. You can start teaching stuff we teach our kids, you know, like the colors and, uh, that kind of stuff. It is a little early, I have to tell you. Um, but the brigands will help you give you ideas.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm finding a tool that gives you free, uh, it's a website for free tools for the brigands. And I'm going to stick that in the chat here. Uh, cause somebody wrote in and said, can you please tell us that name again? So there is the, it's in the comments now, wherever you're watching, I always, you know, when we get to doing the toy, cause in December we have the whole festival of toys. One of the things that was the most fascinating to me was cause you know, my son had language and lost it, but the first time I watched a therapist sit down with a, a little 49 cent thing of bubbles, y'all. 49 cents worth of bubbles. And she sat there and, you know, she blew the bubbles. But every time she blew the bubbles, she'd say, "ba ba buh, buh, bubbles. And then she would blow the bubbles. And eventually, you know, she started pausing before she would blow. So she'd go, "ba ba buh. buh, buh. And, and my child, he wouldn't say anything at first, but he would just go, which is yeah. that imitation that you're talking. Then eventually she waited until he said, "ba." And within a week, she got him to say "bub buh, yeah. and shake that into bubbles. And that was how we started because he wanted those bubbles. Yep. Um. And and he loved those bubbles. And you know, it it, it definitely got his focus. I've always loved that and remember that forty nine cents. You don't have to go buy something expensive. Forty nine cents worth of bubbles. Yeah. Uh, Danny the Shark has written in. I love that name. On YouTube and says, What are your recommendations for parents with kids going to middle school? Please, I really, really, really appreciate your time. And we really, really,
0: really appreciate you being here, Danny. Yeah, that's a good one, Danny. Middle school. So, middle school is tough. In fact, we developed a whole bunch of programs just for this purpose. And I wish I could refer you and say, Go to Skills. Shannon, one of the things we have to do for our viewers, I think, is that we have to kind of uh, produce some written out version of some of these lessons and skills, which obviously I have somewhere. But the the bottom line is that um, I think there's two aspects. Yeah, there's two particular, assuming your child is okay academically and just keeping up with peers, there's two particular things that you need to pay attention that are a little different in middle school. The first one is peers and whether or not that your child belongs to a peer group. It's almost, I hate to say it, but it's like going to jail where you better become part of a gang before someone, you know what I mean? It's kind right. of like middle school is where kids start to be a little bit mean and then they don't, they haven't developed like empathy yet. And, So it's kind of a tough environment unless your child has their own friends. So it'd be important to make that happen. And the way you make that happen is just, you know, be the cool parent on the block, have uh, parties and invite people over, find kids who have the interests that are similar to your child, try to get them together. Uh, you know there's a variety of things to do where you can try to make your child a popular child to some extent so that's important because you don't want your child to have a negative social experience the second one is the big difference in academically that occurs or not academically but what comes with middle school is a requirement of executive functioning skills and i'll give you an example of that it's more like Middle school is the first time where you're given an assignment on Monday, but it's not due until Thursday. Um, and you better, and it, or you're given an assignment and it's due in a month. And so this is where you have to start regulating yourself and learning how to, uh, you know, plan for ahead activities that, so like most kids, what they learn in sixth grade And they start dropping their grades is because they get homework on Monday. They don't do anything about it until Wednesday night. And then there's not enough time to do it for Thursday. So they do poorly. Whereas they should be doing a little bit on Monday, a little bit on Tuesday, a little bit on Wednesday. That's what the school intends. So um, the way we deal with that is teaching the child to use a really good planner now and i can tell you like i did this with all of my kids and my kids still to this day uh, use planners and they're all in college or done with college and they have planners and planners are pretty good i should i should use a planner given all the five thousand things that is that are always going on in my life but uh it's important to teach your child that when they let's say receive homework on a monday They actually write it on Monday, but they write it also on Thursday and they highlight it and they write it on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. So there's different ways, but it's basically helping the child visualize uh, planning long-term activities. That is huge for kids. It's more like teaching them how to kind of, it is also part of teaching them how to transition, obviously, you know, in middle school, usually in elementary school, you're staying in one classroom and middle school, you're going from class to class. Those types of things are easier. But when it comes to planning for longer term assignments, that's where a lot of kids get stuck. So I think I would focus on those two areas, like making sure your child has a safe social environment, and then making sure they know how to plan things.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I don't know what you're talking about, Dr. Grampy Shay. You do have a planner. It's called Outlook. Uh,
0: yeah, that's that's we all true. live by it. Yeah. yeah
1: that's true. Uh, so, uh, and, and I think that that, that brings up a very interesting point that um, some teenagers are already doing planners online. Um, and there are many of those and some use the paper one. I, I really like for them to start with a paper one.
0: Yeah. Um
1: Cause I, you know, there's something about that crosses a barrier when you actually have to write it as opposed to typing.
0: Yeah. And also when you complete tasks, it's really nice to kind of cross it out. It's rewarding.
1: Yeah. A lot of people a couple of years ago got into something called bullet journals and Mm -hmm. I you know, I try to be very good in my bullet journal and make lists of things that have goals for the week. And I have to actually make the calendar, which cements in, and I can tell on a week when I don't, when I haven't done my stuff in my bullet journal, it's very useful and helpful to me and gratifying when I get to put a line through something or put a little triangle next to it saying it's done. That's a very happy thing. Uh, the bloggist has written in and said, I, I'm not even sure I understand this question, but I love it. Can generalization be used on similar si- situations of occurrence or on any general term? Can you read that again, Chad? So can generalization mm-hmm. be used on a, on a similar situations of occurrence or on any general
0: term? So I'm not sure I understand that, but let me talk a little bit about generalization and maybe I'll be able to answer the question so there is two types of generalization there's stimulus generalization and response generalization to begin with response generalization essentially means that you teach a child or a person something a response and they respond with things that are similar so, for instance, I will teach someone to identify an object as being green, and then the next time I show them an object that's red, they automatically know, oh, she's asking for color, so this is red. So, it's essentially the person changing their response to fit uh, the actual situation. That's called response generation. That's not something we usually talk a lot about it's something that the provider the behavior specialist needs to know um, that it can occur and that you need to accept it and reward it now when it comes to stimulus generalization there's multiple types of stimulus generalization one is i want to make sure i'm teaching you something let's say how to ask for the items you want but i want to make sure that you do this across all situations, across all environments, across different people, across different time frames, different settings. So if I teach you to ask for things you want, when I'm sitting with you, I want to make sure you can also do that with your teacher and with your parents and maybe siblings. So that's across people. And I also want to make sure that you can do it in different settings. So if you're doing it here, I want to make sure you do it at home and in your school. Um, I also want to make sure that it's not related to a specific time of day. Like I taught you how to ask for what you want for breakfast, but I want to make sure that you can also ask for things you want for lunch and dinner. So there's, it's basically the concept of generalization has to do with making sure that a new response that is learned is generalizable to all aspects of life so that it's useful. Right? If you learn to ask for things only with me, only when I'm sitting right in front of you, it's not really useful to the rest of your life. That response needs to generalize to all aspects of your life. And that's something that we actually really work on in good ABA. We work on the child being able to respond the same with different people, different settings, different environments, different times, etc. cetera. Hopefully that helped.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I want to say hi to Nathrafthi. I want to say hi to Parker. We're going to get to your question in a second. Hi to Carla and Dark Angel and Sarah. Sarah has written in and said, hi, Dr. Doreen. There was a study published in JAMA Pediatrics regarding video-based therapy for infants suspected with autism. In your view, what does that mean for autism therapies and recovery?
0: Hi Sarah, that's a great question and I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't read the latest JAMA Pediatrics articles. So I don't know what the article actually says, but I am a big supporter of video-based therapy for our kids, not on its own, but in addition to uh you know live therapies. I think that kids learn quite a bit from their own behavior from observing their own behavior i'm not sure what kind of video therapy they did and i don't know the age of these infants but now that you've told me i'm gonna go back and look at it um there's a lot of research in all of mental health that shows that seeing videos of others similar to yourself or of yourself um, is a very, very strong method of teaching. Um, you, once you look, at, a lot of times we're not aware of our own behaviors until we see it on video. A lot of times just watching video it's weird but it's interesting like because maybe it's because it's like you know right in front of you and or two dimensional. I don't know how to you know it's different than looking at a three-dimensional world which has a lot of distraction but a lot of times our kids, will learn something better when they look at an iPad. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. Or TV, because they're so focused on this particular thing, and it's colorful and keeping their attention and lots of you know sounds and things that are, might be rewarding to them. And they learn uh, rapidly from it. So I think that uh, if that's the kind of thing that you read about or was in the JAMA article then I definitely support that because I think video training can be very useful. There we go. Uh,
1: Renee and Elvira say, I appreciate Autism Live. Thank you for being live every day. You guys motivate me every day not to give up. I absolutely love that. There's no giving up here, right? There's no giving in. There's no giving up. Parker wants to know there are major shortages of things right now since the holidays are around the corner and kids on the spectrum are fixated on certain toys and other things. What's your advice for helping these parents to help them with these shortages?
0: Parker, Parker, sometimes I feel Parker should be part of our show. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I agree. agree. They're amazing. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's a great idea. And I think Shannon, maybe due to the shortages, I don't know if you want to do the toy drive earlier this year. And I know that it's a lot of work to get there, but uh, Parker's got a good, I mean, he's actually got a very good point here. Things might be uh, very short this year.
1: Yeah. We, um, you know, unfortunately we can't get the toy guide out any earlier than we normally do. uh, But, Um, I got to say, when they start talking about shortages, I don't want to poo-poo it. I think that there are some very real shortages, and we're all starting to see that. But I also think that sometimes it gets a little conflated because it's better for the economy when everybody thinks there's a shortage, because then the demand goes up, and that's always good for business if there's more demand than supply. Um, So I'm a little bit weary and wary of... uh, cuz i think that if people start shopping now um that they're going to see that you know if it's one or two things that you know that your child really particularly loves that you know we have kiddos that are in love with the squishies right those those the club squishy surprise we love those people and they absolutely love the squishies well if i was a parent i would i would make sure that i get a couple of you know boxes of squishies and stick them in the closet to be ready for the holidays but I don't I think there's going to be plenty of toys to go around uh, I I'm going to say that and then I might have to eat my words later on
0: <laughs> so. No, I mean it, you're very, you, you might absolutely be right I honestly don't know what the shortage is right now with toys I do know because as you know I'm in the process of like changing some stuff in my home And there's a huge shortage when it comes to, like, house, uh, you know, materials for rebuilding. Um, But I don't know. I would assume it might affect toys just in the sense that because everything does come from China. Yeah. So, you know, that might be the case.
1: Yeah. But I think that smart people are going to figure it out just in time to jack up the prices a lot. The thing I'm yeah. more concerned about is people paying a reasonable amount for their toys. I don't yes. want us to get sucked into this having to pay more for them. Uh, I do I do want to, um, we've got other questions we have to get to, but Sarah did write back. Of course, I opened a can of worms because I put up a link to a site, Dr. Grand that had free tools for her grants, but it's very complicated uh and it uh, what it does is offer a bunch of calculators and i can mm-hmm. see where anybody would look at it and go i don't know which one to use there's a rounded chronological age calculator a screens 3 scoring tool a screens 3 self-help and social emotional scales uh scoring tool an ied 3 standardized scoring to- tool a cibs 2 standardized scoring tool yeah. and, she, she and then there's it.
0: four yeah So you don't need the tools uh, at this point. What you need is the actual question, the the test itself. I wish I had one here so I could show it to you. It, we don't care about the scoring so much right now. The, the way the brigands is listed is that it has like, it'll say zero to one and it'll list all the skills that are supposed to develop between zero and one across all areas of functioning. Then it'll say like one to 1.6 and it'll give you more skills than 1.6 to two. And you know, it's just, it's a nice list. It doesn't have to be the brigands. You can basically look up online and see if you can find uh, anything that just lists developmental milestones by age, That's really what you're looking for is developmental milestones by age. And you'll see like different skills or just Google skills that a one-year-old should do, should have. Because these are going to be different things. It's going to be a range of motor skills, a range of language skills, social skills. And then there's going to be, I'm trying to think, because a lot of the other stuff hasn't really developed yet at that point. But I think those are your key areas are language, social, and motor, um, where you need to make sure that you are teaching those skills or observing to see if they've occurred.
1: Okay. I'm looking for it right now. While I do that, let's move on to another question here. Uh, so hold on one second. I got to scroll. I've got two screens going here. Uh, I want to move that Trayvon and it won't let me, uh, we're going to stick with no canceling. Sorry. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've got a million and eight things going on here. All right. Uh, my son is 13. Carol says my son is 13 and having a lot of sensory issues. I blame it, uh, to his hormonal changes. Any idea how long this will last? Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's inappropriate touching, bouncing, hyperactivity.
0: Okay. So it is possible that the hormonal issues are making the sensory stuff worse. That's it. It does happen, and you're right at that age, and so you are absolutely right that it could be related to the to the hormonal stuff. The hormonal stuff will start to balance itself out in a couple of years. It does like there's a whole period of time for kids. 13, 14, where, you know, especially boys, it's like kind of their hormones are increasing and it's changing things a little bit. But I would recommend that you don't just wait it out. I would recommend that you start to kind of deal with the sensory issues as a whole. So when it comes to sensory issues, I think that my perspective on it is Uh, like every like you know Shannon you know how many times I say it's got to be fair and the way that I look at it with sensory things it's like you have to make it fair so in other words to some extent you want to allow some sensory uh, stimulation or that will help the child regulate Um, on the other hand you don't want to allow so much sensory activity that it's going to detract from the individual's Ability to do other things, pay attention to other things, engage with other things. So I uh, think of, and everyone's kind of different, right? When we talk about sensory stuff, some kids uh, like will have an excessive amount of visual stimming or gazing. Others will have an excessive amount of touching things. So you just want to, So depending on what it is, it doesn't matter, like it could be touching or viewing or uh, auditory stuff where they're playing with There's Excessive amounts of everything. What you want to do is you just want to kind of bring it down to a point which is uh, helps the child individual become calmer and uh, regulated, but not so much so that it's taking up their whole day. So an example would be you make an area of the room, which is the, the child or the individual sensory place. And uh, X number of times during the day, let's say five times a day, they get to go over there and spend 10 minutes uh, regulating themselves. Now, the sensory area could be a giant bean bag with a nice little head, you know, noise canceling headphones. Uh, you could have a couple of uh, boxes of beans and rice, if they need to have sensory, uh, regulation from a tactile perspective, uh, you you know, whatever it is, depending on what their particular needs are and you let them kind of, you know, engage a little bit, but then that's it. Like the rest of the day, they need to interact with the world. Right now, that being said, there are certain things that, in general, you can help the child, no matter what time of day, all day long, you can help them um, tolerate. So a lot of our kids are very reactive to, let's say, light, much more so than we are. In that case, I generally think of the individual as like someone who is walking out into sunlight. And we will definitely, if you, someone that's walking in from inside to outside and it's bright light, what are you going to do? You're going to put on sunglasses, right? It's a very normal thing to do that. So there are situations in life where you can actually uh, give tools to the individual so that they can go through life tolerating these more harsh sensory inputs, such as sound. I always tell parents make sure your child has access to either noise cancelling headphones if it's a child who's sensitive to sound uh, or tinted glasses when it comes to uh, visual sensory things that are disturbing to them. Um, This is why there are now fortunately places that are down regulated, right? Like sensory sensitive movies, movie theaters where the sound is lower and Things are less intense coming at you. So I guess, so what I'm saying is, again, it's kind of up to you how you want to deal with it. But certainly waiting to see if the child grows out of it is not probably not the best thing. Uh, You should probably try to get the child, uh, their sensory stimulation Uh, under control, regulate it, reduce it, limit it to certain times of the day, and the rest of the day uh, prompt and help the individual kind of interact a little bit more. Maybe, Hopefully that answered your question, and if not, please let us know a little bit more detail. Great. Uh, it reminds me though,
1: because your advice, which is exactly what T- Dr. Temple Grandin's mother did with her, she said, you can spin that plate on your bed for an hour a day, but then yeah. you got to go muck the stalls and do those other things. So you have the exactly. time and a place that you can do your sensory thing, but then you got to do other things. And some of the things she built in were things that, that Temple liked, like Temple loved to draw and she loved horses. So she said, you got to draw that horse right now. Yeah. And put those and and you know Temple draws some pretty amazing plans for things now, so you know at the top of her field, so there you go. I want to say to Grace, who has written in to us on YouTube uh, about a certain medication. You put a link, and I'm not able to click the link. Can you write and just tell us what the name of the medication is, and then I will ask your question of Dr. Grampuchet, but in the meantime, Carla wrote in and said, this is a question regarding reinforcers. I work as a BT and I've bought many, many toys to use with my clients, but I'm having trouble with my current client. The child is fixated with smaller than rice objects. She is constantly looking for tiny pieces on the floor. The child is uh, very little interested in typical toys. So do you have any recommendations of what I can buy or use as reinforcers? Love it.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Um yeah, I mean there are things you can you, Thanks for writing in, Carla. I, I always love to have people in, who are in the ABA field writing in. Um I'm so on the one hand there are always there's going to be things that she might be interested in. For instance, uh, you know, sprinkles or things that are very tiny and she might like them and there's going to be other types of rewards that you can go to. Uh, Shannon mentioned one that almost all kids love is bubbles. Uh, there's other types of rewards. She, what I'm thinking, I'm thinking along two other lines. Instead of thinking, can I find tiny rewards? I'm thinking more along the lines of uh, what is she getting out of looking for these tiny pieces on the floor? Is it that she really wants tiny, tiny items? Or is it that she has a need for some sort of textual type of thing, tactile type of thing where she's trying to pick things up? So I don't know, test that theory out and figure out, because it's very unusual to want, just enjoy only tiny rewards, right? So there's something having to do with the, action of maybe finding or picking up tiny things or looking for tiny things that might be rewarding too. That's one thing. The other thing is, um, obviously you want to be very concerned because, you know, when you're looking at tiny things, of course, children tend to take tiny things and ingest them, which might not be a good thing. So you want to watch out for Pica and make sure that doesn't happen. Um, And, but, you know, As usual, whenever autism is such a puzzle that always gets me thinking, that's probably the main reason that I loved staying in this field is that it's a puzzle. You're always trying to figure out what's going on with the child. And as you observe, Carla, try to figure out, like, is this child receiving tactile, textural input? Is that what she's seeking out? Is it maybe more of a visual type of stimulatory activity where she's looking for tiny things? What's the action uh, that is rewarding? Because I don't know that, I mean, I'm just guessing that it might not be the actual object, but more the process that she's going through that might be appealing or rewarding.
1: Yeah, it's so fascinating, right? Like I wanna know more. The first thing that I wanna know is what happens if you give this child a magnifying glass? Like if blue, you get the child a magnifying yes. glass and they're looking at the thing that's really tiny, it. do they love that or do they hate that? Because it's probably that. one yeah, or the yeah. other, right? But if they loved it, this to me opens up a whole new world of, you know, that's getting right. microscopes. And then I would want to take things like teeny tiny um, uh, QR codes and then write things into them and have her go on a treasure hunt for things within little things. I don't know. My
0: I'm I'm totally with you, Shannon. I think that those are awesome ideas. And you made me think also as a parent, I'd want to really look at her vision Mm -hmm. because it's entirely possible that she might be actually, you know, her vision might be uh, very, very good with things that are extremely small and close by and not so good with distance. Have her vision checked.
1: Too yeah.
0: that's very interesting stuff you mentioned, Channel. Yeah, like I'm that.
1: thinking I, I don't even know. I have to go back and look at this year's toy guide. Usually I include a camera somewhere, a kid's camera somewhere on the list. Because one of the things that we saw with our son when when we were at the point where we just we had no idea what was going on and he had a lot of visual stims. One day he picked up my camera and he was three and he ran around and he took pictures. And when I looked at the pictures, it was like, I saw into his world. Yeah. And, and it was life changing. We made a book. I don't know if I have it on my bookshelf somewhere here. We made a book of um, here it is here. It is. Here's the book. Uh, One of those photo books, but look at this picture that's on the cover of it. This, we we were at a children's hospital seeing a family member and um, in Portland and, and it's this uh, tin man. But just the way he, um, we just put it together and made a, a coffee table book from it that says, says through Jem's eyes and just the the view of, look at how he looked at us. Yeah. Like that's how he saw me and my husband. And and the picture that he took of his grandma was just her hands. Isn't that and, amazing? And, and to just see this through his eyes cued us into how he was looking at things, what interested oh. him what he was noticing. So I love putting a camera in all of our kids' hands. And now they didn't have it back then. Now they have cameras that have bumpers on them. You can teach them how to take pictures on, um, iPads, um, so that they can see it and it's big, but she might like it little. Uh, we, there's a whole section of the book where he went around and he just took pictures of storm drains.
0: Amazing. That was his thing.
1: Because uh, he was a little fixated on on that. So anyway, I, I'm I'm interested in all of that stuff uh, to see how they see the world, and it, I think it definitely cues you cues you into some of the ways that they're seeing things. Uh, Dark Angel wrote in and said, "Carla, my son would spot small numbers and letters when he was little." Um, and it may be because it's small, it's less overwhelming. I don't know. Carla
0: Carla also wrote in Shannon and said she'll hold it between her thumb and index finger. And that's a really interesting thing because this is a very, the representation of these two fingers in the brain is huge. So she's actually gaining, uh, some sort of sensory input by putting them here, right? And that's kind of interesting because now that gives you the ability to do that particular thing with lots of other objects. So it's let maybe more of a textural thing than a visual thing for this particular child. Except when she's holding it
1: between the two oh, fingers, I just doing? want to ask, is she doing it, holding it up like that? Yeah. Because a lot of our kids, I didn't know this till years later with my son, when, when an op, developmental ophthalmologist said, the reason why he's doing that is because he can't focus if he's looking in the middle, his eye muscles would jiggle, and uh so if that's the only way she can see it, yeah that could that could be too isn't it fascinating? I just want to spend an hour with this child and play because I love play, I'm all about play as you guys know, and the way kids play keys into who they are and how how they view the world, and I think our kids are just amazing, as you guys do too. So Grace has not written in yet and said what the name of this medication is, but she's concerned, and I don't know what it is, Doctor Grampy-Shea. Trayvon, if you have a way of clicking on it and telling me, she said her son started this medication when he was seven years old. He's been taking it about almost three years now. He was okay taking this, but the problem is that he was, he would have a hot body and she thought that he always had a fever and he was always asking for a shower three times in one day. I tried to stop the medication, but behaviors came back. He would bang his head, um, kick, pinching, uh, he hurt himself, uh, by slapping himself, hard, uh, and so they lowered the medication. Now he's on a lower dose. Um, but, Uh, but even in the middle of the night, he wants to take a bath. And again, I want to stop this, uh, uh, because he wants to eat and eat even very late at night and he's gaining weight. Um, okay. He's always asking her to cook. Um, until now he's been nonverbal, but apparently he's speaking now I'm waiting for him. Oh no, I'm waiting for him to talk. My neurologist told me it's, uh, to help the communication neurologically. The husband wants to stop. Um, the son is on a GFCF diet, still needs help. Um, and so she's asking for what your thoughts are, but you don't even know what the medicine is. So that's, no, I a
0: hard I'm sorry. Yeah, so It would be hard to comment, but if we get the medication, I can take a look at it and figure out if, if being overheated is one of the side effects. You want to make sure that it is actually related to the medication. And if you are certain then you need to go back and talk to the neurologist or talk to another uh, physician who can help either by giving you a different medication or by giving you a medication that is going to help with the heat regulation. Um, It is important though, so I wouldn't ignore it. And I don't think it's healthy to be doing just baths for long, long periods of time like you know, there's something going on in his body if he's if his heat regulation is up. So I really do recommend that you kind of look into it with the physician. I keep insisting. Okay, I also want to go back and say that
1: I found and understood a list of all the development milestones between um, zero to one years. They broke it down into different chunks, though, for different months. But it's very. Uh, parent friendly. You don't have to take a test, oh, but you can. And so I put that in the links. Um, it's on understood and it breaks it down as early as uh, newborns, the kinds of things that they can do. Then three minute breaks it into what the physical milestones are, what the cognitive milestones are and what the social emotional milestones are. So um, take a look at that. And I think that will help to tell you where you are. Um, it was always confusing to me, though, Dr. that milestones, we we have to have some leeway, right? My, like if you should. Yes. 100%. Yes. If your child hasn't met them.
0: Yes. It's, just, it's okay. just like a starting point. It's just a, it's a range. Right. It's a range. It's really important. And that's with all kids. Typically developing kids will develop these milestones within about six months of each other. So if you're behind on a milestone it, within about a year, that's when you consider it an issue.
1: Okay. Uh, but this, I think, will really help people. But each and every one of these things on this list, if your child isn't doing, you can start to work on that with them. Um, and there are curriculums that are available to work on those things. But I also tell you, Pinterest is a pretty fabulous place. Oh, wow. um, Yes. All kinds of teachers post all kinds of things and more and more ABA people post things um, and special education teachers. So for instance, one of the milestones, I wished I'd known this when my child was seven months old. Uh, one of the milestones that they suggest is that they jabber with vowel sound combinations like they'll go or O-O-O and then they just begin to start using B and M. Um, At seven months, this is That's the right. this is the milestone here. So if I saw this and I knew that my child wasn't doing this, I could start to do the bubble thing and go the ba 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 and yeah. see if I can get them to do it.
0: So um, and all, and, and with all the uh, vowel sounds, it also is very very helpful to do these in front of a mirror because it, and and to really like exaggerate the the mouth positioning because it really helps a child in fact you know prompt speech therapy has to do with this it's like positioning the mouth so that it's ooh, and that actually helps the child start to produce the sound ooh, or ah or e those types of things really help children start to produce those sounds yeah and there are all kinds of games and if you
1: It's always fascinating to me because in my family, everybody loves babies and we love to play with babies. But a lot of times people don't know how to play with babies. You shouldn't feel embarrassed about that. But if you want to, there are videos and things on Pinterest about how to play with your baby. Everybody has their own thing. My sister, whenever she's around a baby, she will always go, ah, to them. And then she goes, ah, like this. And she gets the baby to open their mouth and go, ah, and then she does that to them. It's hours of entertainment for everyone. Everyone mm-hmm. pulls up a chair and we'll watch the baby for hours go. la, 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 la. And the baby, <laughs> she'll change it down. And the, you know, they connect on all these levels. For me, it's fish lips. Whenever I'm in line <laughs> in the grocery store without a mask, my son and I have this deal about how many seconds will it take till I can get the baby's eye contact and make them laugh. Um, Cause I, I, I do fish lips. I go, it's hard in the mask. It's hard in the mask. But I was at a store the other day with the mask on. There was a baby that was there. And I got that baby to laugh within 10 seconds with the mask on. I, I, still, right. I, I still, right? It's, yes. Uh, and that's a, that's a game that my son and I have played since he was like five and yeah. just had language burgeoning because um, it was something for us to do in line at the grocery yeah. store. And he would try to make the baby laugh too. It's all it's all fun, right? Yeah. Now, Sarah, a different Sarah, it's the day of the Sarahs, has written in and said, very interesting, um, my son is seven and I'm having a hard time teaching personal space and keeping his hands to himself. And based on something that you said earlier, she said, it makes me wonder if I recorded him hanging on other kids, he would be able to understand what he is doing.
0: Yeah, it's possible, Sarah. And you actually brought up a very important thing that goes on with our kids is that they have difficulty seeing things from other people's perspectives. So maybe if he sees it in a video, it would help him see other people's perspective. But another way is also to kind of do that thing to him. So in other words, if it's about other like him hanging on to people, do that to him and see how he feels, because it's really it's not that the child is like doing it to upset others. It's just that they really don't see from the other person's perspective, so they don't understand how it could be disturbing or upsetting. So if you can somehow get that message across, it'll work.
1: Yeah, and and I want to say too, there are some kids who can't. There to watch themselves on video. Like it's just painful to them. And then there are other kids who it's the most wonderful on the planet. They absolutely love it. For the kids who don't like to see themselves watch themselves on video, I will say that there is that series that HBO did years ago where there was a little boy with, I believe he had Down syndrome, who went to kindergarten. I think it was called Peter Goes to Kindergarten. And they filmed. They did it was a reality TV show on HBO and they showed him at kindergarten and interviewed his peers for a year. And then later, I don't know whether it was first grade, second grade, or third grade, they followed up. And one of the things that Peter kept doing was crashing into the other kids in class. And And just kept doing doing it. it. And so they interviewed the other kids in class and they would say, you know, there would be the little boy who was like, I really like Peter, but I hate it when he crashes into me. I wish he wouldn't do that. I sat and watched that with my son because my son was doing that and crashing into other kids. That was it. That was it. He saw that the other kids didn't like it and it wasn't him. So he could watch the mistake that Peter was making with his friends. And that was it. Yeah. It was the end of it. But I will say for those of you who have kids who like to see themselves on camera and that love YouTube, Anything you want your child to learn, say, hey, let's make a YouTube video about it. And you'll teach someone else how to not crash into people. Yeah. There have been so many people who have had their kids do cooking shows and things like that. If there's something, you know, if you've got a child who's seven or older and, and has some understanding of that and loves YouTube, have them make their own video about the thing you're wanting them to learn. They'll learn it while they're teaching to other people.
0: I love it. I love it. I and actually you, you also brought up a good point, which is there's some really useful with control, there's some pretty useful videos already on YouTube for yeah. our kids that where they can see these things and learn. Just like you said that, that Peter show. Yeah. Um there are very similar things like that that you can find on YouTube, but be very careful because once you introduce your child to the world of YouTube, you gotta really control it.
1: Yes. Yes. Please learn it changes all the time, so I can't tell you what the most recent thing is, but you need to learn how to put the parent limits on whatever technology your child is using uh-huh. you uh-huh. Have to, if you don't, you will learn the hard way. It's not only that your child will pick up words and phrases and things that are and see commercials for things that are well beyond their years that you would not want them exposed to. But they also um, you know, we went through it and friends of ours went through it. One day, it was while while we were filming something with you, Dr. Grant Pichet, you were on that uh that American Heroes show and we mm-hmm. were in a park. Yeah. And they were and we were, you know, we were filming with you. It was actually the day that I met Wyatt for the first time, Nancy Alspot Jackson's son, and my son was playing a game on my husband's phone. And he was like, you know, daddy, I want to buy a zoo. And my husband was like, buy the zoo. And the next morning, my husband was having chest pains because the zoo cost 300 real dollars. (laughs) 300. (laughs) The virtual zoo cost 300 real dollars. And I believe my son bought three of them. And my husband was like, I can't breathe. Right. And it took us months to sort it out. And yeah. we were in the process. We were told we were bad parents. And my friend was laughing hysterically at this. And she was like, oh, that's why we only use Mac products. Because you wouldn't have had that problem with a Mac product. And the very next day, her son bought uh, a wagon for $900 no. on the smartphone <laughs> <ever. laughs> with an Apple product. So learn it, folks. Uh, it will Your bank account will be better. Your child's head will be better. And it will work better for you. <sighs> we're about out of time here. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad we could share that. So I did put the understood.org up for you guys so that you can go. And, and by the way, they have other ages too. So that if you have a seven-year-old and you want to know what the milestones are, and you can go back and look what, the mar- what they are. And Understood does things in a very user-friendly way. So thank you to Understood for doing that for us. Um, I wanted to remind everybody, if you tuned in late, Dr. Grampy Shea is on TikTok. <laughs> Whoever thought, I'm so tickled that I get to say that. So go to ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. Uh, you will see that she's done a, uh, an introduction there and you can start to submit questions to her on TikTok and you never know when she might pop up and answer one of your questions.
0: Yeah. And also on Instagram, but I think that I'll be answering questions on TikTok and, but they will also post on Instagram as well. So thank you so much.
1: There you go. So that's a really wonderful thing. And we are very hopeful, fingers crossed, that on uh, a week from today, we will go live on TikTok as well so that you guys will have the opportunity to watch us there. I want to say before we we leave here that on Friday, please don't forget that live on the show, we have Dr. Temple Grandin and she's going to be answering your questions live on the show. But I I just want to reiterate she prefers to get the questions ahead of time. That is her preference. You guys always get mad at me when i don 't take your pick your question when it 's live so Trayvon, just put on the screen for you to write to Shannon at autism-live.com. I've gotten a bunch of questions already, but I would love a bunch more because sometimes she just goes through them rapid fire. So please, 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 if you want to send a shout out to her too and say that, you know, Rebecca says hi from Philadelphia, I will include a certain number of those as well, but only if they get to me beforehand, not the day of. So if you want to speak directly and have her answer your question, you must send those to me ASAP because uh, I'm really going to be curating all of those today and tomorrow. But Dr. Grand thank you so much for being here. We'll look forward oh, to good. having you on next week. I want to officially invite you to Dr. Grand Uh, We're going to be doing our Halloween show a week from Friday. Nancy and I always dress up. I don't know if you feel like dressing up and dropping by for a few minutes, but, you're always welcome. I know it's a you that you enjoy the 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 I holiday. Do. I uh, do, I do.
0: Thank you so much, Shannon. and and uh, yeah, i look forward to seeing what your costumes are this
1: year. We we've been working very hard. We think that everybody will be um, surprised and happy. Uh, Squid Game. I'm just gonna say this. I watched Squid Game too late, so it's not Squid Game. I'm just oh, gonna. Gosh. Uh, that would have been too easy though. Um, but it's, it's something else. I'm not even going to give hints. You'll have to tune in to see. All right, everybody. Uh, love you much and thank you so much and love you too. Dr. Grampy We'll see you guys tomorrow until then. Give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.